you can stick with kind of rigid types of meals or food groups or calorie kind of limits or whatever at what cost yeah like what do you want to do with your life And welcome to episode three of the Inside Out Institute podcast. My name is Steph Boulay, host of the podcast. And for this episode, I had the honor of speaking with one of Australia's leading eating disorder dietitians, Fiona Sutherland, also known as the Mindful Dietitian. We touched on a lot of things during our chat, including mindfulness and yoga and how that relates to food and eating. We spoke about so-called normal eating, intuitive eating, diet culture, and dealing with excessive hunger. But before we get to that interview, we're going to hear from someone with a lived experience, Jenny. Now, Jenny developed bulimia nervosa at around the age of 10 and then struggled with an eating disorder for the next 50 years before finally getting the help that she needed. The eating disorder was all about survival. It's not a lifestyle choice. It's a, it's a, it's a coping mechanism because something's going very badly wrong inside. The way I've described my life up until, you know, a year or so ago was that I was an eating disorder and anything else, whether an occupational therapist or a mother or a a wife or whatever, all those things were not me because I was the eating disorder and, yes, I could do all the good things that a mother does, but I didn't own being a mother. The end of the day, it was food and vomit, and that's how I got through everything. My core was an eating disorder. The biggest thing was, was relationships because I couldn't, I couldn't connect on a, on, a, on a true level with people um, because I was just so ashamed and, and disgusted. If we were going out for dinner or a party or something, all I think about was what I was going to eat. It, it's... That, that sense of just not, not fitting into the world. My husband and I moved up here two years ago and I, and I looked around and I found an eating disorders day program. Um, so that was two or three times a week, a day program, and then one-on-one with the psychologist or dietitian. And that was brilliant, because that was the first time I'd ever spoken to somebody else who had an eating disorder. Now I was nearly 60. I, I honestly thought, well, this is my fault, you know. I really had no idea that it was an illness. And I, and I guess I still struggle with that. I thought I should just stop and stop feeling sorry for myself and um, those sorts of things. I just never felt safe telling people. So being, with, being in, a, in a specific eating disorder recovery or treatment program, the staff, the dietitian and the social worker, they understood it. You didn't have to be explaining yourself. You could spend the time looking at what was going on, why was it going on, how can you do it differently, um, learning about food, not being frightened by food. I used to wake up in the morning and I'd, I'd be freaking out already about you know what's, what's on for the day and what am I going to eat. But now, if I start feeling a bit anxious about the day, I just go, oh, I'll just sit down and do meditation. And it just grounds me. Um, I've got flexibility, 
So now I, I do eat when I'm hungry. I don't have to have to be home to eat. Um, I can go out for coffee with people. I can go out for lunch. I can go out for dinner, um, and that's a big that's a big step. I'm really excited that that I actually. All the things I do, I own now. They're me. I'm no longer an eating disorder. I might have a problem with it, but I'm a mother and I have a great relationship with my children. I can't make up for what happened, but I can wear... All the things I do now are me. Our guest today is the brilliant Fiona Sutherland. Fiona is an accredited practising dietitian from Melbourne with some 15 years' experience in the areas of eating disorders and body image. She is a non-diet and health-at-every-size-aligned dietitian and a self-described diet culture disruptor. She is the director of both The Mindful Dietitian and Body Positive Australia and host of the podcast The Mindful Dietitian Podcast. So definitely go and have a listen to that. It's fantastic. She's also really into yoga. She's been practicing for 10 years and teaches a weekly yoga class. And that's where we started our chat, talking about how yoga and mindfulness informs her practice as a dietitian. Mindfulness really, for me, invites us to be present Mm -hmm. to whatever is. So whether that's an internal experience or whether that's to my environment or whether it's to other people, um, whether it's to my own energy, to my own thoughts. Um, Which is hard. Oh, my God. It <laughs> is so, so hard. Just, oh, just do this, just <laughs> do that. No, actually, presence is something that we need to practice. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very intentional. It is so much more. I know I always joke about, you know, um, sitting on your yoga mat and, you know, just kind of namaste the mm. the crap away but it, it doesn't work it actually doesn't work like that our very much dominant western culture is very much productivity based you know it's a do 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 rather mm. than be 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 you know mm. whereas mindfulness is an invitation to be with mm. and especially to be with the uncomfortable now we don't like that no <laughs> none of us like the uncomfortable yeah. and so that's the other thing is yoga yoga the way that i understand yoga is that it's a way to honour our humanness mm-hmm. and a way to honour our wholeness. Like, we, we're not broken to be fixed. We're actually whole. And yoga invites us to the mat to come in contact with our mm-hmm. wholeness. And make room for it. Right, exactly, yeah. to find that spaciousness. I think what I like to talk about, especially with mindfulness and yoga, is, you know, almost what's not spoken about. And that mm. is that it can be really hard it can challenge us in so many ways and yet as a practitioner like as an as an eating disorder specialist and a yoga teacher it's been absolutely instrumental like I can't express enough how instrumental my yoga practice and my my mindfulness practice has been to the work that I do with people individually or collectively or with with our community so how how can someone who's interested in becoming more mindful mm-hmm. and even practicing yoga how can they get started is it as easy as popping on something on youtube i don't think it's as simple as just look it up on youtube and just do a class yeah, we, right. you know, we kind of need to be really thoughtful about things like injuries any vulnerabilities we have reasons for doing it mm-hmm. so you know if we're very very busy and um kind of we self-identify as more as maybe what we would call a yang personality or yang lifestyle which is kind of up you know up anxious do 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 highly strung highly strung Mm -hmm. you know the classic as we call type a you know whatever Mm -hmm. um that doing more of that yoga 
is not recommended. Okay. And yet that's exactly what those kind of people we'll will for. gravitate towards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It kind of feeds that same yeah. energy. Whereas doing more um, yin, more introspective, more restorative type of yoga, more of the restful, calming, mm-hmm. you know, it, it works in interesting ways on our nervous system as well yoga Um, so that's something that I find really 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 fascinating especially when you know in the eating disorders sector we work with a lot of people who have experienced trauma you know Mm -hmm. whether that is complex trauma or PTSD um, but also trauma of just living in this world yeah you know or exposed to diet culture and it's Instagram. just it's Instagram, exactly. <laughs> like it's very full on for us. Yeah, yeah. You're being challenged all the time. And as a, a diet culture disruptor, why is it so hard for people to eat? Why is it so confusing? Like micros and macros and clean and what else is there? I don't even know. Atkins, yeah, toxic. Intermittent fasting, yeah. eat a big breakfast, yeah. clean, unclean. I can't keep up. Yes. Can't keep up. Why, why have we made it so hard for ourselves to know just how to eat? I actually think it's because we've become so disconnected. We've become disconnected from each other as humans, Mm -hmm. from our community, from our families, and from ourselves. So I really try to hold that with compassion because if we're feeling disconnected, that is one way that we can feel vaguely connected to ourselves and others because other people are doing it. Mm, Especially if you're at a gym or something, you can actually join and do it like a challenge or something and then you'll feel really special. Yeah, It's pretty good for the ego. Yeah, right. And how do you think this all plays... Or how does it play a part in eating disorders? Oh, my God. It's so intertwined. Mm. I really think it's really intertwined. So the way I think about it is along a spectrum. So anybody who is kind of dabbling in dieting or dysregulated or disordered eating is only kind of a vulnerability away from a clinical eating disorder. Right. I really, really feel like it's it's a kind of risk and protective factors, you know, that, that kind of picture that we look at you're playing with fire totally absolutely it's not like everybody doing the same thing is going to get an eating disorder because we know that's not true everybody is exposed to the thin ideal correct and yet we all don't get eating disorders disorders. yeah Yeah. that's exactly right but i think that the more we engage in the behaviors that are very disordered that vulnerabilities emerge yeah, I right. really think they do emerge. Yeah. And also, life changes. So we might have a ch- sudden change in our body shape or weight. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's due to a diagnosis, medication, injury, illness. Puberty. Puberty. Pregnancy. Oh, my yeah. God, yes. Um, menopause. Yeah. You know, the, the stages of life where our body, particularly for women, mm-hmm. where our body changes the most is exactly an uptick. There is a specific uptick. And I find that just really, really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Can we look a little bit at um, like recovery? And mm-hmm. I guess a common question in recovery is what is normal eating mm-hmm. and how do I get there? How do you um, direct people with eating disorders back to normal eating? So the way I describe quote unquote normal eating, because, oh my God, even that word has become so synonymous with um, you know, normalizing disorder in a way, you know, what is normal anyway, right? Yeah. Okay. So not, if we were to not, just, not a cookie cutter. Not a cookie. So if we're talking about normal or natural eating, I guess, what I would say is that that is being able to nourish our body with a wide variety of satisfying foods on a regular basis. Like That's it? That. Yeah, I think so. And feeling okay. and feeling positive towards our food and eating relationship. So there's two things. There's behaviours and then there's kind of attitudes and beliefs and relationship. So 
feeding ourselves enough on a regular basis, consistency, reliability, they're really important. But then also a holding a calm, positive space there so that we're being flexible, that we're open to um, enjoying things, but we're also open to times when food is just boring, when it's eggs on toast on a Sunday night, mm-hmm. you know, which is boring as all hell, but God, it's quick. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so it's not always exciting. It's food. in the right place in your life. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so part of that um, is certainly honouring, you know, hunger and fullness and honouring what our body needs. And that includes medicinal needs as well. So if, for example, if you had celiac disease, for example, I wouldn't be like, eat all the foods, including gluten. I'd be like, well, no, if you if you wish to be feel most well, yeah. you probably wouldn't be eating gluten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's to a different Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so is intuitive eating the gold standard? Well, hmm. I guess in one I guess in one way it is. Because Eating intuitively is really about honoring what we want and need. So those are two different things. So what we want really ties into pleasure and desire and connectedness and mm-hmm. all those things that actually enrich our lives in such a variety of ways. Whereas what we need is more kind of the physical, like what we actually need in terms of fuel, um, you know, kilojoules or calories to live yeah Yeah, that's exactly right so those are i mean yeah in order to have a full and recovered life then i think it's both it's not just about what we need it's also about honoring you know what we what we want and sometimes that can be surprising and disappointing sometimes too but you know (laughs) both are fine both are fine mindfulness mindfulness (laughs) and so practical tools to get there Yep. Um, someone who's struggled, struggled with an eating disorder, how can they return to that place? For mm. example, is there a place for meal plans? Yes. Okay. So, yes, there is. Mm-hmm. So any, any, a dietitian who, who uh, identifies as health at every size or non-diet approach or intuitive eating, you know, you might see those words on their website or on Instagram or whatever. It is not anti-weight. It is not anti-weight loss. It is not anti-meal uh, plan either. Mm-hmm. We, I guess we, being the collective we, being <laughs> non-diet dietitians, non-diet eating disorder recovery dietitians, I should say, um, we will get in there and have those tough conversations, um, which I think are really critical. We're not co- cookie-cutter people. We won't just kind of apply X, Y, Z to people. Meal plans are a very critical part of establishing stability and rhythm and consistency Mm -hmm. so anybody in eating disorder recovery you need a dietitian on board regardless of what model of care you're using because we are the specialists who are able to assess what your body most likely needs Mm -hmm. and we can hold that space with you together because it's really scary You know, when people are starting to eat differently and where there are different sensations going on in the body, that just is really scary. And the body's changing. The body's changing. Exactly, Mm. exactly. So for it to be a little less terrifying, having a team of people around you who've got you, Mm -hmm. who are not going to make like false promises or reassurances that in your head you're like, oh, that's 
that can't be true and it might not be yeah that um you know meal plans at first it's i describe it like a scaffold so a scaffold holds up a building right Mm -hmm. but it's not a permanent structure yeah okay it provides stability like that yeah yeah and then we can build you know if you think about it on a like a cathedral or something good (laughs) yeah it's exactly right (laughs) what it does is it allows us to do the healing inside yeah okay so in a building you'd be fixing up the bricks filling things in and then eventually we take the scaffold away but we don't take it away all at once yeah we take it down part by part by part so it's not like a band-aid ripping off kind of process although some people do do eating disorder recovery all in they just go all in but most people really need a lot more structure than that yeah so it's a so it's a kind of a building up and then we eventually take it down and hand over all of the responsibility back to the person so that we can start to make autonomous decisions for ourselves and that's the exciting part (laughs) yeah that's when the exciting part starts You're listening to the Inside Out Institute podcast, rethinking eating disorders from the inside out. There are so many different themes that come up, especially for dietitians. Mm. Um, Like some of the themes might be, you know, how do I know if I'm eating enough? How do I know if I'm eating too much? Um, What do I... So hunger and fullness. Yeah, some of that stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. hunger and fullness. And, and and that was is where, like, if I get that question, I'm always thinking, what is informing that question? And what I would hope to open up is a conversation around confidence. Like, are you feeling, you're not feeling confident or skilled at being able to not only attune to your body but then to be responsive to your body yeah take the next step exactly exactly because it's two steps the first is being able to attune but then the second step is actually being able to respond so you can feel hungry but unless you're willing to respond to that hunger we don't get anywhere yeah okay does that make sense yeah yeah but what if their hunger and fullness cues are just erratic because of their past um eating disorder behavior totally well that would that's where our scaffolded rather than a meal plan i will call them guidelines Okay. So usually with a dietitian, it won't be a eat this here, eat that there. It'll be choice within there. It'll be a variety yeah. of foods, you know, that, that is heading you towards sufficiency mm-hmm. um, that just provides that platform. Okay. Whereas if somebody is at the stage where they're starting to attune a little bit more to the nuance of appetite, then we can experiment with that a little bit more. And it actually takes a lot of courage, if I'm honest. It's actually kind of a stepping out a step yeah Mm. it's a very brave step it's it's essential Mm. but it also is um it's yeah so how do you take that step if you're like if you feel safe in the you know meal plan or Mm -hmm. guidelines how Mm. do you take that step out this is a question that i would ask people Mm -hmm. is to say you are more than welcome to use this meal plan for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. you can like you can do it if you want to you can stick with um kind of rigid types of meals or food groups or amounts or calorie kind of limits or whatever mm-hmm. and then I would say and it's important to ask ourselves at what cost yeah it's like what are your values right so it's like you can do it and actually your life would be okay you'd survive you'd survive mm-hmm. right at what cost yeah like what do you want to do with your life what does a full and rich and meaningful life what does that sound like what does it feel like what would you be doing if you were really embracing what life was was offering you like the the kind of and in all shades of gray yeah 
right? The, the pleasant, the fun and the joyful, and then the disappointing, the, the grief and the sadness. and The boring. The boring, oh my God. Yeah. And kind of everything <laughs> in between, you know. Yeah. It, it's a big, brave step, but I, I fully believe it's worth it. Um, and I loved your latest Instagram post, which was six ways to start addressing feeling out of control around food. One, feed. Two, yourself. Three, enough. Four, satisfying. <laughs> Five, food. Six, regularly. <laughs> this is the exact opposite to what diet culture is telling us to do. Can you explain why regular eating is the answer and not, you know, more restriction? If you feel out of control, yeah, I just, I just think that, um, you know, if you speak to anybody who experiences binge eating, um, and you ask them, you know, so what is more distressing, binge eating or emotional eating, or you know, however they frame their experience, or kind of the dieting or restriction, they'll almost always say, not always, but almost always say it's the binge eating or the emotional eating. I just can't stand it. I hate it. I feel ashamed. I feel so guilty. I feel so bad about it. But if I could just sustain the diet, I'd be okay. Mm -hmm. And so part of my task there is to hold a space where we can gently have that conversation around what if, what if binge eating and emotional eating was a a very, very effective and very well-intentioned coping strategy, Mm -hmm. but actually that wasn't the problem that actually our cultural messages have led you to feel like that is the problem. Mm-hmm. when actually, no, it's the dieting that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people either have mixture responses. Uh-huh. Some are relieved. Uh-huh. They're like, that's the ah, yeah. now I see why this continuous cycle is keeping on happening because I'm kind of putting my effort into the wrong thing. Yeah. I'm trying to stop this mm-hmm. and maintain that, but that is the is problem. The problem. <laughs> it yeah. perpetuates the whole cycle, right? Um, other people kind of quite fairly feel very sad. It's like, are you seriously telling me that I have invested this X number of years, often many, many, many years, kind of barking up the wrong tree? And sometimes I don't think I've ever anybody heard, any, heard anybody say it in those exact words, yeah. but often that's when the tears come. Mm. You know, it's It'd like so angry, wouldn't it? Right. And so feeling angry, mm. scared, mm-hmm. sad. It's like and these are highly intelligent people mm-hmm. that feel like they've just been duped. And the truth is, if we were to cut to the chase, they have been. They've been really duped mm-hmm. into believing that if they could only control their food and eating and body shape, that life would open up into this some kind of utopian universe. But it just doesn't that, – that's it's just not what happens. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. It's a lie. And we've kind of all been duped in, in lots of ways. And it's very – makes me eventually very angry and very yeah. upset. And you should be angry. I know, right? Yeah. <sighs> so that's why I do this work is yeah. because it is unfair. And it is – and the one of the key things is, is it, it is inequitably unfair So although diet culture influences all of us to some degree, like across different ages, across different genders, across different body shapes and sizes, although it's telling all of us you should be X, Y, Z. So for women, notably, that's usually smaller. For men, that's usually bigger. Not always, but, you know, depending. Generalizing. Generalizing. But I think a point where I get particularly annoyed 
is that these messages, although they are broad brush across everybody, the people who are most hurt and harmed are people who walk around the world in larger bodies. Mm. You know, they are so harmed and so stigmatized. And deeply, deeply harmed. Yeah. Deeply harmed by our healthcare system, even by our eating disorder recovery system. You know, there are so many ways in which their needs are so neglected and where they not only are led to believe that they should be losing weight, but that our health system actually keeps perpetuating this. So you what know? can we do? Like... What can we do as everyday people to to help fight that? Burn, burn it all, burn it all. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, Steph. Although we could start with burning it all, that would be great. Um, do you know? <laughs> start fresh. I know. Start fresh. <laughs> let's let's just start again. Now, do you know? I think that we just really need to keep talking about it. Okay. We need to keep these conversations on the table, mm-hmm. and. We need to stop talking about, for example, diet culture as if it affects everybody equally because it does not. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, diet culture inequitably affects people who, um, for example, transgender folks. It affects people in larger bodies. Kids are just so vulnerable. Women are very vulnerable. Women in midlife are very vulnerable. Um, there, There are... It's not something that just affects everybody equally. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to... Well, the first thing is we need to stop pretending that it does mm-hmm. and start putting resources and support into the places it needs to be. Mm-hmm. We need to stop confusing eating disorder recovery with dieting by if somebody is in a larger body and they have an eating disorder, part of that recovery is, helping, quote-unquote, helping them to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Like... No, it's just, it's not okay. Yeah. Like, it's really, really not okay. We either help everybody recover from eating disorder and stop pretending Mm -hmm. that there are people who are more worthy than others, or or, or, let's go back to our plan A, burn it down. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's so important. It's so important. Um, So people who are recovering from being um, underweight, what's your message to them if they're, um, you know, gaining weight and experiencing excessive hunger? Yeah, that's a... Very practical and really good question. Because hunger is scary if you haven't had... Totally. If you've had it smothered for months or years. Well, that's exactly right. And remember that hunger is an innate desire. It's an innate... um, Remember, it's hormone-driven for a start, Mm -hmm. you know, and so the physiological sensations that we get are driven by hormones, by our endocrine system. Yeah. And that when, our, when we have been particularly chronically underfeeding our bodies, and this can occur all, all across the weight spectrum, so it's not just people at objectively low weights or not people who um, visually are very thin. It happens across all uh, weights. So to answer your question, what I want to offer people is that it is so normal. It is so normal to have a really elevated sense of hunger um, often for periods of time it might last at least several months mm-hmm. and that if you never have anybody that tells you that you will be okay then just let me say that you will be okay you can trust your body you can build skills that will help you to um, develop new, a new way of looking after yourself that doesn't rely on 
denying yourself of food. And that trust comes with a team that can hold you Mm -hmm. and a team that has your back and that... um, and that even when you're most scared that you've got people around you that are like, we've got you, we've got you, we know you're scared. And, you know, I often say to people, if your team are offering you, offering you lots, of, lots of reassurance that, not that things will be okay, but reassurance like, oh, it'll stop in X amount of time, then I just think we need to really question that. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if, if you have somebody that's like, I can see this is so painful for you. Like, I can see this is so tough for you. Like, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. This is really sucky. This is a really sucky time. Mm-hmm. I've got you. Yeah. Do you know what it's I mean? It's a different like, approach. It's a really yeah. different approach. And yeah. it's like saying, it's almost like saying, Steph, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And I know this is so sucky, but I'm not going to, this is actually part of the process. Yeah. And I can't take it away for you. And it's a bigger life lesson too, isn't it? Because it's like... Usually, you can't say everything's going to be okay all the time. Yeah, you can't stop the bad things from happening. But what you can do is you can build your skills so that you can ride that wave. And be resilient. And be resilient. Surround yourself with good people who've got your back. Like when stuff, serious stuff goes down, that they've still got you. And they're like, we've got you. Thanks for listening. If you're keen to find out more about Fiona Sutherland, check out her website, themindfuldietitian.com.au. She's also on Instagram and Facebook as The Mindful Dietitian. And of course, her podcast is called The Mindful Dietitian Podcast. For more information about Inside Out, our website is insideoutinstitute.org.au. Catch you next time. If you or a loved one needs support, please head to our website or call the National Eating Disorders Helpline at Butterfly on 1800-ED-HOPE or 1800-33-4673.